one of the most popular stories from Greek mythology is the myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus was condemned by the other Greek gods for having betrayed them. He revealed some divine secrets to mortals, as the story goes. His sentence was to roll a massive stone to the top of a hill, watch it roll down again, and then repeat the exercise endlessly. Ravi Zacharias writes about this myth. The punishment came in having to execute a pointless act from which nothing ever came except a vain repetition that compounded the emptiness. You see, the troubling reality is that many people, maybe even many in this room, feel like Sisyphus. You feel like your life is empty and pointless and vain, and it doesn't make sense. It feels like you're just going through the motions, and you don't even know why you're going through the motions. That's not how God intends for us to live. He intends for us to live lives that are full of purpose, and meaning, and impact. So for the next three Sundays, I'm going to share some vision sermons with you. Our theme for 2013 is advance. We want to be a church that advances the kingdom of God as we proclaim the gospel. We want to see the gospel touch individual lives and heal broken families and introduce those to those at the ends of the earth that, that have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. We want to advance the kingdom of God in 2013 like we never have before. And this morning I want to talk to you about purpose, advancing with the right purpose. And then next week we're going to talk about advancing with power, the power you and I need to advance. And then the final week we're going to talk about advancing with a plan. I want to share with you some specifics about how we advance in 2013. And then after that, we'll get back into 1 Samuel in our study of that book. But today I want to look in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, as we think about advancing with purpose. So we don't have to be like Sisyphus. Endlessly doing the same thing with no point. Luke chapter 24, we will begin reading in verse 44. Luke 24, verse 44. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's the disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We'll talk about that verse next week. Then in verse 50, 
And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Let's pray together. Father, what an awesome God you are, and what an awesome privilege we have to gather as a faith family and be in your presence. Lord, to know that you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, to know that you draw near to us in this gathering is wonderful. And Lord, we we ask you to move in our midst. We don't want to leave this place the same as when we walked in. So would you, Holy Spirit, use your word in our lives? As we sang earlier, would you melt us? Would you mold us? Would you fill us? Would you use us? Have your mighty way in our midst. May your word move with power. Lord, I ask you to establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The gospel is the account. uh, The gospel of Luke is the account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It tells the story of Jesus and it shows us that after he died upon the cross and rose from the the dead, that he uh, spoke to his disciples after being with them for a time and then he ascended back to heaven. He went back to the right hand of his Father after giving them their marching orders. And in these last words that Luke records, Jesus shares, we see something about purpose, something about our purpose, God's purpose for our lives. I want you to see, this is Luke's account of the Great Commission. I want you to see what he says about what our life is to be all about. I want to give you just three uh, basic statements about God's purpose for your life. Just follow along with me there in your notes. Number one, we see that God's purpose for our lives is found in the Bible. God's purpose for our lives is found in the Bible. Look how many times Jesus mentions the Bible. It says there in verse 44, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus says the Old Testament said some things about me. The Old Testament prophesied about me. The Old Testament foreshadowed me. The Old Testament pointed to me. The Old Testament is about me. That's what Jesus says here. He mentions the Bible as their basis of understanding of the life and the ministry and the work and the nature of Christ. Then in verse 45, he says, Then he opened their minds to understand what? What's it say there? The Scriptures. He opened their mind to understand the Scriptures. He wanted them to understand the Bible so they could understand what they were to be all about. And then look what he says in the next verse, verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written. So in verse 44, he mentions the Old Testament. Law, the prophets, the Psalms. Verse 45, he mentions the scriptures. Verse 46, he says, it is written. He keeps pointing them toward the Bible. Because Jesus knew and Jesus knows what we need to understand. That if we're going to understand our purpose, we've got to go to the Bible. You see, one of the problems in our society is people are looking for purpose and meaning in all the wrong places. They're looking for purpose and meaning in all the wrong places. I came across an article that was linked through CNN.com. It's written by a lady named Martha Beck. She was talking about a a purpose and a vision uh, for life. 
And the name of the article was Seven Steps to Living the Life You Want. And her idea was that you uh, get a, a piece of poster board, a vision board, she called it, and you cut out things from magazines that are appealing, things that you want, and you put them on the vision board, and as you have good thoughts about those things, the positive energy of your thoughts begins to draw those things into your life. And so, hey, if you want a BMW, cut it out, put it on the board. If you want a new house, put it on the board. If you want to learn how to cook French food, put it on the board. And, 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 and you put these things on the vision board, and they help you to begin to move towards that, that vision and that purpose. She even wrote this. The vision of your ideal life doesn't have to look possible, just delicious. So look for something that's delicious. You want your life to be delicious. You want to, you want to, you want to acquire some things that are going to be great. And she goes on to write, You too were born to become yourself by creating the experiences you live. Now I have no idea what that means, but that's what she wrote. Generations from now, your descendants will unroll the tattered map of your life, partly to celebrate your legendary homecoming, what you achieved, but mostly to remember the odyssey that was your real purpose all along. So she's saying, your purpose in life is the journey by which you acquire the things you want. That's what life is all about. Here's the problem with that. Life is short. And say we acquire everything we want to acquire, then we die. What then? What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? But her idea of purpose is, hey, put some things on the vision board and begin to have positive thoughts about it. And it'll be, just begin to be drawn into your life. Just mumbo jumbo. But, but people are reading things like that. I came across another book that's a New York Times bestseller. It's written by Gretchen Rubin. It's called The Happiness Project. And The Happiness Project began for her when she started to ask this question, what do I want from life? What do I want from life? And as she thought about that, she thought, well, I want to be happy. So she dedicated a year of her life to this project, The Happiness Project. And this book synthesizes the wisdom of the ages. She draws from philosophers and different people through the through the ages, and it synthesizes that with current scientific research. And she began to blog about this as well. So there's a book and there's a blog. And the, the description of the book said this, The Happiness Project is not just a, a book or a blog, it has become a movement. As a matter of fact, uh, we see that different professionals like counselors are, are recommending people go read The Happiness Project. Even, it said even clergy are recommending to their people that they go read The Happiness Project to find what they need to find in life. Now, let me just say this as an aside. If you ever come to me with a problem, and I assign to you the happiness project, fire me. <laughs> fire me. That is not what you need. You're not, going to, you're not going to find your purpose by just trying to meet some, some level of happiness because you read some Aristotle. That's, that's not where you're going to find happiness and purpose and meaning in life. Where do you find it? Well, can I suggest this? If you want to know what your purpose is in life, go to the one who made you. The Bible says in Psalms that God knits you together in your mother's womb. He made you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And if he knows you so well, he knows what you need. He knows what's best for you. He knows where you will find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life. And so go to the one who created you, i.e., go to the Bible. If you want to know your purpose for life, if you want to know God's purpose for your life, if you want to know what life is all about, what you are to be about, 
Go to the Creator's book. He has spoken to us. He has some things to say to us. Think about it like this. The Bible tells us why we are here. It tells us what has gone wrong. It tells us what God has done to redeem. It tells us what our role is in all of that. And it tells us why God does what He does. All that's in the Bible. And you will never understand your purpose. And listen, be motivated to pursue your purpose apart from the Bible. See, here's the deal. A lot of you know what I'm about to say. I'm going to share some things with you in this sermon. You say, well, I knew that. I heard you preach that before, Wade. I mean, you know what I'm about to say. But there's no motivation in your life to live it out. See, the Bible not only unveils for you what God's purpose is for your life, it gives you the, the passion and the motivation to pursue it, to go after it. It's not enough just to know. You've got to align your life with what you know. And that happens as you get into the Bible. And so here is some just basic application for you. Read the Bible. Decide on a plan. There in your notes and read the Bible. I challenged the church last year in 2012 to read the entire Bible in that calendar year. It was really neat. The, the, the last week of the year, getting text messages and emails, people telling me they had finished the Bible reading, how God had used that in their life. It was just really encouragement for me as a pastor. And here's what I discovered. I finished my reading through the Bible just right before Christmas time, and, and I was going to read some other things, other just different parts of the Bible leading up to the new year before I started another Bible reading plan. But I couldn't wait. I started my Bible reading plan. I got a head start on my Bible reading plan for 2013. I'm ahead of the game right now because I could not wait to get back into that systematic reading of the Word of God. I discovered that the more you read of the Bible, the more you want to read of the Bible. And maybe you don't want to read the Bible because you don't read the Bible. That makes sense? Because the more you read of the Bible, the more you want to be in the Bible. So get a plan. We have a lot of folks in our church that are doing the chronological reading of the Bible. They get Bibles that lay out the Bible in chronological order, order the events happened. And we had a box of chronological Bibles come in. We sold out. We brought another box in. People are buying those. Great way to engage the Bible. Read the Bible chronologically. I use the Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan. Right now I'm reading in Genesis and Psalms and Matthew and in Acts, and it is just rich and full and wonderful. Get a plan, whatever the plan is, and read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you'll understand God's purpose for your life, and you will be motivated to pursue it. Read the Bible. Also, study the Bible corporately and in a small group. By corporately, I mean let's get together Sunday after Sunday, and let's hear God speak to us as we gather under the authority of the Word of God and let God speak into our lives. As the Word of God goes forth and the Spirit works in our lives, let us study the Bible corporately in 2013. I want you to come to church because, listen, I study really hard. I do. I work really hard. I have something to preach to you week after week. So come to church and let's study together and let God speak to us together. Amen? I want you to take vacations. You need to do that as a family. I want you to Take care of things you need to take care of in your life. But if you're in town and you're not deathly ill, come to church. Amen? Let's study the Bible together. Because God has something He wants to say to us as a, as a family of faith from His Word. And then we want you to study the Bible in a small group. We want you to get in a connect group. Small group of believers and, 
and you're learning the word together. You're, you're able to ask questions and interact and hold each other accountable and encourage one another and pray together. And, and there's, there's a dynamic in that small group that will really help you to grow in your faith. Now, we're trying something a little bit different for 2013. I'm really excited about it. Let me give you a little bit of background first. I, I grew up as a Baptist. I was a Baptist before I was a Christian. You know that's possible, right? You know you can be a Baptist and not be a Christian? I grew up in a Baptist church, and here's how my church was structured growing up. We had Sunday morning church, and we also had Sunday morning Sunday school. And then we had discipleship training, it used to be called training union, um, at uh, 5 o'clock in, in the evening. And then we had 6 o'clock, another worship service, the preacher would preach another message. And then we had a Wednesday night Bible study, the preacher would preach another message. So any given week, we were looking at five different passages of the Bible. Sunday morning, Sunday school, discipleship training, Sunday night, Wednesday night, in, in addition to what we were supposed to be reading on our own. Now, that's a lot of Bible to, to digest in one week, right? But how are we ever going to wrap our minds around five, six different passages of the Bible? It's, it's like taking a sip of water from a fire hydrant. So what we're trying to do at Longview Point, we're trying to streamline things to give you Scripture that you can really dig into and really meditate upon and really work to apply in your life because the Bible says that we should not just be hearers of the Word, we should be doers of the Word. So we want to streamline so you can do what you're learning. Does that make sense? Instead of having five different Bible studies that you can't remember, we want to streamline things. Here's what we're doing in 2013. Your Connect Group lesson will go deeper into the passages I preach on Sunday mornings. You'll get together and you'll... Talk about how the sermon applies to your life. You'll, you'll look at some other accompanying scriptures. You'll have some discussion-oriented questions. And it'll be a time for you to go deeper so that every, every week you're not thinking of five different passages that you're not digesting. You are focusing in on one major passage apart from your Bible study, your personal Bible study, one major passage that you're letting the Lord really uh, work into your life. So we're going to try that. We don't have all the answers. We're going to try it, see what happens, and see how it, how it works in terms of helping you to grow in Christ. What's all, we want to help you mature in Christ. And so, so come to church. After the vision series is up, I'm going to be back in 1 Samuel. Study 1 Samuel. You go to Connect Group and talk about 1 Samuel and how it applies to your life, what you learn, how it is shaping you. How, listen, how you, what you studied on Sunday is going to affect your Monday, amen? If what we are studying on Sunday is not affecting our Monday, then what are we doing? And so get into the Bible, because in the Bible you find God's purpose for your life, and you're motivated to pursue it. Now here's the second thing about purpose. Wait, how do I discover God's purpose for our, our lives? Here it is. God's purpose for our lives is rooted in the gospel. It's found in the Bible. It's rooted in the gospel. Look what Jesus says there in Luke 24, verse 44. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, the, 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 the Old Testament said Jesus was going to do something, and he came to do it. He came to fulfill what the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would do. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, here it is, that the Christ would suffer. That speaks of the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. And rise again from the dead the third day. Jesus says, the Old Testament was pointing to the fact that I was going to come to earth and suffer and die for the sins of humanity, 
and then after I died, I would defeat death itself by being resurrected. The Old Testament said it was going to happen, and guess what? It happened. Jesus came to earth. And he lived a perfect and matchless life. And he willingly went to the cross to take our punishment. You see, we're all sinners. We've all done things that the Creator told us not to do. And we've all, all not done things the Creator's told us to do. We've all rebelled against God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we've sinned against a holy God, we deserve His righteous punishment. But you see, God loves you. And God loves you so much, Jesus came to take that punishment for you. God sent His Son to bear His wrath in your place. He loves you. He, 1 Corinthians 15 says, died for our sins. Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was, was our chastisement. He died in our place. And then after he died upon the cross, he was buried. And three days later, what happened? He rose from the grave. He defeated death itself. And because he defeated death, he can give you life. Life abundant and life eternal. That's the historical event of the gospel. There are three aspects of the gospel in this passage. First of all, the historical event. What he actually did. 2,000 years ago, something actually happened in human history. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. It really happened. It's not a myth like the Greek mythology. It really happened. And Because he did that, you and I can be saved. But you see... When we think about the gospel, not only do we need to think about the historical event, this is so important in the Bible Belt, we need to think about the personal response. Look what Jesus says. It is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. In other words, people would hear the gospel, and they'd repent of their sins and turn to Christ, trust Christ alone. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. It's not enough just to know the historical events of the gospel. So a lot of people know the story of the cross. They know the story of the resurrection. They, th they think that saves them because they know that. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is when you realize you can't save yourself. And your only hope is to trust what Jesus did for you. So you repent, you turn from your sins. I don't want to go that direction anymore. That's not how I want to live my life. You turn from your sins, you turn to Jesus and embrace Him by faith. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the gospel is not D-O, do something to be saved. You can't work your way into heaven. You're not good enough. I'm not either. The gospel is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Jesus did everything necessary for you to be saved. Now you have to trust him instead of trusting yourself. You have to rely upon Jesus to save you. He's your only hope. He's my only hope. That's the personal response. And there are a lot of folks walking around in, in the Bible Belt that know all about the, the, the story of the cross and the resurrection, but they've never personally seen their need for Jesus. And they're lost. And they need to respond to him. So as you think about the gospel, there's the historical event. There's the personal response. But third, there's the proclamation. The proclamation. Look what Jesus says in verse 
46, it is written, the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. The repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. Caruso, proclaimed, heralded. Jesus intends for his good news to be shared. I mean, good news by its very nature is meant to be shared, right? When you get good news, you want to tell somebody. Other day, Claire found 20 bucks in a place she didn't think she had any money. You know, she said, wait, I just found 20 bucks. Why'd she tell me that? It's good news, right? Good news. Good news by its very nature is meant to be shared. And we've got the best news that's ever been proclaimed. The good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for sinners that he rose from the grave, and if we trust him, we can be forgiven of our sins, we can have a changed life, and the hope and promise of heaven. That's good news, and Jesus intends for us to proclaim it. So God's purpose for our lives is rooted in the gospel. You need to understand that what God expects from you, what God wants from you, what God is calling you to, has everything to do with the gospel. And you'll never find your purpose and meaning just trying to achieve your own happiness. You find your purpose and meaning when you get on board with what God is doing in the world. As you become a part of receiving and then proclaiming the gospel. Let me give you one more thought about God's purpose for our lives. God's purpose for our lives is found in the Bible. God's purpose for our lives is rooted in the gospel. Third, God's purpose for our lives is to glorify Christ. God's purpose for our lives is to glorify Christ. I, just, I mean, I've got just down to, the, the, down to the bottom line. God's purpose for our lives is to glorify Christ. Look what Jesus says in verse 46. It is written, the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins, watch this, would be proclaimed in his name. As the gospel goes forth, it's to go forth in the name of Jesus. It's meant, the gospel is meant to highlight, to glorify, to magnify Christ. It's to go forth in his name. I was reading uh, my Bible study, Acts chapter 4, this weekend. And this chapter is interesting because Peter and John, through the power of God, had healed a man from his, um, his handicap. They healed him in the name of Jesus. And the religious leaders didn't like this because people were hearing more and more about Jesus. They didn't want people to hear more and more about Jesus. So the religious leaders brought Peter and John in to a trial, and they said, listen, we're going to let you go because we can't dispute the fact that the man really is healed. <laughs> but we don't want you, listen to what they say, we don't want you to speak any more in this name. You can be religious if you want to. You can hang around the temple if you want to. But just don't mention that name. That sound familiar? We live in a culture that is filled with religiosity. We live in a culture that is filled with spirituality. But just don't mention that name. Don't mention the name of Jesus. People get offended when you mention the name of Jesus. But what does Jesus say? That God's purpose in this world is that the gospel go forth. It, it is proclaimed in His name. In other words, it's all about Jesus. 
It's all about Him. Our purpose for life is to magnify Christ. That's why you're not in heaven yet. God has you here for a purpose. And your purpose is to magnify Christ to a lost and dying world. That is what your life is to be all about. Now you say, well, okay, I get it. I want to glorify Christ. That's God's purpose for my life. How do I do it? Let me give you two thoughts here very quickly. First of all, we glorify Christ by our worship. By our worship. Look what it says in verse 50. It says, He led them out as far as Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and blessed them. While He was blessing them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Don't you, don't you know that was a sight to see? They're standing there with Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus just, just goes back up into heaven, just ascends into the heavens. Wow. Verse 52, it says, And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That word worshiping there is proskuneo. It's the word for prostrate. This was serious worship. I mean, this wasn't just like, you know, sing a song and go home. This was, they were worshiping Jesus there on that mountain as he ascended to the Father. And then it says in verse 53, they were continually in the temple praising God. That word praising is the word eulageo. It's where we get the, the word eulogy from. You know what a eulogy is? Someone stands up at a funeral and says good things about a person, right? Well, eulogeo, praising God, is to say good things about God. That's what it means. So they were proskuneo, prostrating themselves before the, the majesty of Christ, and then they go back to Jerusalem, and they're, they're saying good things about God. They're praising God with their lips. They are people of worship. They are people that are excited and passionate about the glory of Christ. So wait, how do I, how do I glorify Christ? By your worship. By loving Him, walking with Him. Growing in your relationship with Him. Praising Him, singing to Him, praying to Him. Reading about Him, talking to Him. That, that's how you glorify Christ, by worshiping Him. People should know. That you love Jesus. If you do. If you love him, people ought to know it. It shouldn't be a mystery. It shouldn't be hidden. I mean, you should be a person that loves to proskuneo, prostrate yourself before the Lord, and loves to eulogeo, loves to say good things about him. We glorify Christ by our worship. But secondly, we glorify Christ by our witness. Jesus says... That repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He's saying to his disciples, you have, you have seen me. You know that I died for sins. You saw me alive from the dead. You've seen me. You've seen the gospel. You've heard me teach. You're witnesses. Now go and bear witness. Go and proclaim the gospel. Go and proclaim the good news that I died on the cross and I rose from the dead. And listen to me. If you've experienced Jesus Christ personally, you're a witness. Has, has Jesus touched your life? Has he? That's not a rhetorical question. Has Jesus touched your life? If he has, you're a witness. You're to bear witness of your experience with Jesus. You are to bear witness of the eternal realities of the gospel. And you glorify Christ by worshiping Him, loving Him. You glorify Christ by, by talking about Him. 
By sharing Him. By proclaiming Him. That's how you and I glorify Christ. And here's the deal. As we worship Christ, as we bear witness for Christ, we find true meaning and fulfillment. Because true meaning and fulfillment and purpose are found in knowing Christ and making Him known. All for His glory. True meaning, true purpose, true fulfillment are found in knowing Christ personally and making Him known publicly. That's what Jesus says. These are His last words before He ascends to the Father. These are His marching orders for the church. This is what life is all about. This is why you're still here. To know Him personally and to make Him known publicly. That's why you're here. And so God's purpose for our lives is to glorify Christ. We sang it earlier, didn't we? Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Is that your passion? Or are you like Sisyphus? Just trying to make it to the weekend. Same thing over and over again and you don't even know why you're doing it. If you approach 2013 with this mindset, Lord, you had me where you had me for a reason. I'm working in the school system or I'm in healthcare profession or I stay at home with my kids or I own my own business. Whatever, wherever God has you. You say, God, you had me here for a reason. Now, I want to glorify Christ right where you have me. I want to know you better in 2013. I want to worship you. I want to love you. I want to say good things about you. And I want to bear witness of you in 2013. Is the glory of Christ the passion of your heart? Let me give you a closing thought. We'll wind down our time together. First of all, God's purpose for our lives is God's purpose for our church. If this is God's purpose for our individual lives, certainly that's God's purpose for our gathering together as a family of faith, right? I mean, God wants our church to be about the glory of Christ, right? That's what He wants us to be about. And if we're not about that, then what are we doing? If we're not about the glory of Christ, I'm wasting your time and you're wasting my time. If we're not about the glory of Christ, we're about the glory of something else. And the quickest way for God to remove His hand from a church is for them to be about something else other than the glory of Christ. God's purpose for our lives is God's purpose for our church. And in 2013, we will pray and work by God's grace, His strength. We'll talk about His strength next week, His power next week. We will pray and work to advance the glory of Christ. That's what we're going to be about in 2013. So wait, wait, what's, what's, what's our vision for 2013? Advancing the glory of Christ. Expanding His kingdom across the street and around the world so that people see how great Jesus is. Oh, dear friends, when people encounter our church, we don't want them leaving saying, oh, that's a good church, or that's a good preacher, or that's good music, or... They're nice folks. No, when people encounter our church, we want them leaving saying, isn't Jesus incredible? Isn't Jesus awesome? Isn't He magnificent? That's what we need to be about. The glory of Christ. And so, 
do you want to spend a year being a Sisyphus? Empty, meaningless repetition. Or do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to point people to the greatness of the one who saved your soul?